All right. Oh, how's everybody doing? Good? Beautiful outside? Yes? Good. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Blake Philippi. I serve as the Director of Discipleship and Outreach here at Terra Nova for a whopping total of the past two weeks, um, which is really exciting. Um, I'm excited to finally be a part of the team and come alongside the church, and it's been really uh, exciting getting to know the guys, leading the church really well. Um, they did not hire me because I am a preacher, so I want you to know that um, as we move forward with what's going on. Um, I will be up here a little bit more often. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited, excited to be here. So uh, we are currently in a break from our regular sermon series in Matthew. Um, we've been journeying through Matthew for a long time, but right now for the summer, we have decided to t take the summer and journey through the Psalms. Um, so we've heard um, from different speakers about different Psalms. Last week, we had somebody who like, made you stand up and was breaking stuff, and I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not as entertaining as that, um, or engaging probably, but um, we've been hearing about a lot of different Psalms. And uh, before diving into today's psalm, I want to spend a little bit of time overviewing what the psalms are in general, because we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, if you saw on our social media stuff, we asked you to maybe bring a journal or a notebook. We'll get into that later. Um, but we want to overview the psalms in general, because it's helpful for what we're going to do today. So the psalms are this. The psalms are simply poetic expressions to God about something going on in the author's life, or it's a reaction to God about something God is revealing to that author. Right? So they're poetic expressions aimed at God, letting him know something. Simply put, they're expressions to God having to do with a person's experience. And what's interesting is that it doesn't matter what that experience is. Right? We have different types of psalms that we see throughout the book that kind of illustrate different experiences people have. We have psalms of praise, where the author is expressing um, worship to God because of something good that they experienced, and, and things are going great, so they're praising God, or things are going difficult, or things are difficult, and they're still finding strength, however, to praise God in the middle of that difficult circumstance. So we have psalms of praise. We have what are called imprecatory psalms, which are psalms where maybe the author is in some kind of conflict with somebody, and um, or they're, they're being treated uh, unjustly, and they're asking God in the psalm to pronounce judgment on this other person and, and make right the wrong that is being done to them. We also have psalms of lament, where the authors experience distance from God, maybe sorrow, maybe some sense of angst about a situation, and they're saying, God, where are you in the middle of this difficult situation? And it's expressed to God out of the experience. Um, the Psalms cover every facet of life, right? And I say that because I recognize that in this place, we're all in different places in our journey as well. Some of us maybe have really great things going on in my relationship with Jesus. I feel close to him. I'm praising him. I'm experiencing abundance of joy with him, whether that's in a good situation or maybe I'm able to do that through difficulty and maybe God is shaping me and I'm praising him in a difficult situation. Maybe some of us have some conflict going on and I'm asking God to intervene and to end unjust things that are happening to me. Or maybe some of us are feeling that sorrow, right? Where, where is God? I don't feel his presence with me. I don't know where he's been. I do my best and I feel nothing. Where are you, God? So we're all over the place, and that's okay. And the Psalms 
give an opportunity to express that to God. So that's what we're going to do today. We are going to write a psalm today. Is that all right with everybody? Good. Awesome. So uh, what I want for today, we're going to journey through a psalm, but the aim is to give everybody in this room an opportunity to pause and meditate on the character and nature of God and express to him what we're experiencing. Why are we going to do that? So we do this thing in my family. It's a little weird. Um, (laughs) uh, We call this an affirmation circle on somebody's birthday, right? So say it's somebody's birthday, and uh, we sit in a circle, and everybody says typically something affirming to the person whose birthday it is. We go around, and it's really nice, unless it's my brother's birthday, and I don't say nice things. It's really mean things. Um, And it's kind of cool to see this person just receiving affirmation, Right? But what I notice, though, is the person that are saying affirming things to this person are also feeling a sort of emotion. Right? They have processed who this person is in front of them, processed the relationship that they have with them, and are expressing to them what they feel about them. Right? And so it's not always just about that person. It's also for us to process, how do I feel toward this person? Right? And maybe we do that in other areas of life where I'm having conflict. And I need to bring something up where I need to confront somebody about something. I have to process, what do I want to say about this person to this person? And it's a learning and growing experience for me as well. And that's kind of why we're going to do what we're going to do today. In order to express to God what your experience has been like with him, you have to process that relationship. You have to process how have things been going with him? Where has he been in my life? How do I view him? Do I view him with a sense of awe and majesty or is he off in the distance somewhere? So writing a psalm today gives us an opportunity to pause. That's really the emphasis. We're going to journey through Psalm 8, yes, but we're going to use that kind of loosely just to, as structure for you to write your own psalm today. Cool? So, if, with that being said, one, I anticipate that a lot of you will probably engage with this, so good for you, um, but also use your phone, right? You can take out your phone, use your little note app if you have it. Otherwise, on the back of your guide page, there are, there's lined paper um, that you can use to, to write this out. If you brought a journal, great. If you need a pen or something to write on, there are Bibles over there and pens over there as well. So, feel free to do that. We're going to start writing that probably in, like, five to ten minutes, so just to give you a little bit of a name. So um, we're going to look at Psalm 8. Um, And again, the whole purpose of journeying through Psalm 8 is just to give you a platform to meditate on who God is. It's a fitting psalm for it. So I'm going to dive in. I'm going to pray first, actually, and we're going to dive into Psalm 8. Father God, we ask that you would be present with us, that you would reveal yourself to us. Um, We're excited to meditate on the magnificence of your being, your glory, your splendor, um, and how you engage with us. Uh, Please meet us here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Psalm 8 reads this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, so in this psalm, we simply have David, he's our author, There's not a ton of background information as to why David wrote this psalm. We simply have David clearly meditating on who God is and reflecting on the stature that he has in light of that. So he's reflecting on the magnitude of God and recognizing his own stature in light of that. And that's fitting for us for today in writing a psalm because We can do that regardless of our circumstance. We can reflect on the magnitude of God, whether things are really difficult or things are going really well. Wherever we're at, God is still who he is, and we can use that as the foundation for how we're going to engage with him. So um, the big picture of this psalm in particular, just uh, so as we're journeying through it, we understand a little bit about where David's coming from. The big picture is this, and I think it's going to be up here. God is infinitely good toward humanity, in that the sovereign creator of the universe has granted that humans have the honor of bearing his image and governing his creation. Praise God for his goodness to humanity. I'm going to read that again. God is infinitely good toward humanity in that the sovereign creator of the universe has granted that humans have the honor of bearing his image and governing his creation. Praise God for his goodness to humanity. So that's kind of the big picture of the psalm, and we're going to get there Um, kind of in three different ways. First, we're going to look at the greatness of God in creation. And David's going to say that the earth and the heavens cannot contain the glory of God because he is so vast and so supreme, but it all points to him, right? And then we're going to look at, we have this great God who reigns supreme in the universe, yet he visits humanity and he dwells and has presence with his people. What a great God. And then we're going to look at out of that, interaction, God also grants that we bear his image, and we are little images of God who get to uh, cultivate life and engage with our surroundings in a way that's honoring to him. And the whole purpose of why we're going to journey through that is so that we can take some time to meditate on those truths and, again, express back to God what we've been experiencing lately in our relationship with him. So let's dive into verse 1 a little bit so we get some context for the, the psalm. David starts, O Lord, our Lord. And there's a lot already going on in the original language that we miss in the English. He starts out, O Lord, our Lord. But before we get into that, actually, I want to point out he's addressing God himself. He's not writing about God. He's not journaling through what he's been feeling. David is addressing the God of the universe because he knows he's listening. So when we start our Psalms, we're going to address it to God. In the original language, O Lord, our Lord, David's actually using two different names um, in addressing God. The first name he's using is Yahweh, which we've heard time and time again. It's this covenantal, personal, intimate relationship that God has with just the people of Israel. He's their God. He's the one who's established covenant with them. He is personal to Israel. So he uses that. He says, O Lord, Yahweh. And then he says, Adonai, which is a more general name of God that expresses his rule, his supremacy, his governance, right? Other people, other lords would be called Adonai. So right off the bat, David is saying, 
my personal God, you're also the supreme God of the universe. And he's, he's setting the tone for the whole psalm, saying that God is this supreme creator. God exists in ways that we can't imagine. And yet he's also intimately involved with his creation. Just by saying, oh, in the way that he's addressing him, oh, Lord, our Lord, the psalm is intimate, but it's also very reverent of who God is. So he moves on. He says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So for David, the earth and the heavens cannot contain the glory of God. Creation attests to the magnitude of who God is from the vastness of the universe, the expanse of the heavens, everything that God has created down to the simplicity or the the complexity of the smallest pieces of our experience, right? God is created, God created it, he knows it, he's sovereign over it, and he, in later verses, holds it in his hands, right? God is great, and if I just open my eyes and look around me, I see his glory everywhere because stuff exists, Paul in Romans will say that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen in his creation, so no man has an excuse to not act according to their conscience because just the fact that God created everything establishes the sense of intimacy with him. Right, John, in his gospel, uses this philosophical concept that kind of gets at this point. Uh, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word he uses there is logos. And in, in Greek philosophy, you have these philosophers who are trying to um, you know, educate people and talk about deeper ideas and deeper concepts. And one of the things that got stuck on was, how did this all begin? Right? If there's ever a time when there's nothing, right? thinking through creation and the origins of how all of this began, if there's ever a time when there was nothing, then nothing could ever exist. So they come up with this idea that there was this eternal logos, they called it, this essence that pre-existed creation and is inter- eternal, and it kind of like was the reason that things got pushed into existence. And John, in his gospel, says, that's Jesus, Jesus is pre-existing, eternal being who created all things and is the supreme ruler. So we see throughout scripture this point that David's making that's very straightforward. Creation points to the supremacy of God. It's not a difficult point if we just open up our eyes and look around us that God created everything out of nothing. There's this simple truth of his magnificence and his supremacy. And it should cause us to stand in awe at his magnitude. So that's what David's doing in the first opening verse. God, you are amazing and huge and glorious. And we go from there, and he reinforces that truth in this next verse. He says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Um, David, in, in displaying the greatness of God, contrasts children with the enemies of God. Right? And in the context of what's happening, he's talking about enemies in the sense of those who reject that supremacy, those who exalt self, those who reject God's rule, who are concerned with their own power, concerned with the own, their own praise. Right? They're enemies of God. They, they don't acknowledge his glory that David's talking about, whereas children are simple in their recognition of excellence and simple in their recognition and don't, don't concern themselves with power or being praised. Right? So he's using that as an illustration to, to talk about how obvious God's glory is in creation. And it's interesting that Jesus actually quotes this verse in the New Testament in the last passage we were in in Matthew, where Jesus is in the temple that I, I believe Pastor Bill preached through a few months back, um, 
We have Jesus in the temple. And it's a helpful illustration for this psalm. Jesus in the temple. Temple, the place of God's intimacy with Israel, where they would call him Yahweh, where he was... um, where people would come to worship him and sacrifice to him and make amends for their sin. Jesus is there, and people over time had tried to monetize the temple structure. So you have people who are trying to make money uh, on other people's engagements with God. It's not the intention of the temple. It had been disordered, and people were trying to make money. So Jesus shows up, and he kicks them out. And he reestablishes the original intention of the temple by bringing in blind folks and paralyzed folks, and he heals them. And this is the story in Matthew. He heals these people, takes people in that would probably not be welcome there in the past, and he heals them. And and there are children on the scene. And the children, uh, when they see this happen, they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Um, And they praise Jesus and kind of call him the Messiah, the God. They're worshiping him in a way that he's not just this man. Right? And the religious, le- so the children see what's happening very obviously. They see the glory of God. And the religious leaders hear that and they become upset that Jesus accepts this praise and they call him out on it. And Jesus quotes this verse to them. He says, Don't you, haven't you read that out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? So Jesus calls out the Pharisees. His actions had pointed very, very obviously to his glory And the Pharisees missed it because they were caught up in their own power, caught up in their own whatever they had going on, that they missed what was obvious and right in front of them. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees there, what David is saying in the psalm and what David says to us, don't miss out on the glory of God that is evident all around you because you're so caught up in what you have going on yourself. And that's David's first big point. God's glory in creation is simple and straightforward, but it's missed by people who reject his supremacy, who reject kind of what's so evident all around. How often do I personally miss out on experiencing joy in my relationship with God because I don't just stop and open my eyes and appreciate the magnitude of his creation and his being because I'm so caught up with all of the other stuff that I have going on in life. So that's where we're going to pause first and begin to write our psalm. So if you have your phone, take it out. If you have your notebook, take it out. I'm going to give us a prompt here, and we're going to take like two minutes. Uh, There's going to be some music on in the background, and we're going to journey through this. If you're not feeling like writing down and don't want to engage, that's fine. Just maybe quietly meditate or pray on what this prompt is going to offer. Um, And like David, we're going to start off with a big view of who God is. So I want us to meditate on the greatness and sovereignty of God. Not on how he interacts with you as a person, just on his nature. We're going to express to him like David expresses to him. Express to God what stands out to you about him. Make sense? All right, cool. We're going to have two minutes. I think some music is going to come on.
Okay. So um, we're going to continue. We have the greatness of God in creation in the first couple of verses, and uh, we're going to move on to point two, where we start to see the greatness of God as he now engages with humanity. So we come into the picture now when we're writing our psalm. We're starting with who God is, and we're starting there, and then God interacts with us. And just that itself for David is this magnificent thing. So he says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So for David, the focus is still on God's greatness. It's not on how human beings deserve God's favor. It is absolutely on God's greatness. And he's focused on how God engages with humanity. He's affirming what he's already saying in verses 1 and 2, and now he's directing the attention to the fact that he engages with his creation. And he says that the vastness of creation is just the work of God's hands. So he's highlighting it. So it's inconceivable to David that such a great and glorious and vastly supreme God cares for little old lowly humanity yet he does care. Um, There's this nature of humanity that David's highlighting in the original language that's already understood, but when he uses the word man in this language, there's two words for for man in the original language, and there's one that's very, very common and one that's very uncommon. And David uses this really uncommon word here, and it denotes this like frailty and mortality and weakness when he talks about man. So he's highlighting who God is by doing that. He's saying, this great God cares for such weak people, and it means something really great about him. And when he says, when he uses the language like care, there's this connotation of presence. Some translations even say, even say that he visits man, yet God visits his creation, right? So God engages with creation. He's present with his creation. He visits them. He cares for them. They are on his mind. He is mindful of his weak mortal creatures. And that truth is well known. It's established throughout scripture, but David is taking the time to meditate on the the immensity of that fact, right? So in the Old Testament, God has already established his presence with his people. He has the temple. He's he's made covenants with Moses and and, um, Abraham and, and David, and he is guiding his people through difficulty. He's intimate with his people, right? And in the New Testament, We know that he actually cares enough to become a man. Jesus, the God-man, comes to earth. He suffers death because he cares so much. The great God of the universe that David is talking about, that um, the heavens and the earth cannot contain his glory, was hung on a tree because he cares about humanity. And it's easy to overlook that sometimes if we don't pause to meditate on how magnificent it is that such an incredible God would care for us. The supreme creator cares deeply for his creation. It's the gospel message. Um, so that we can experience joy with him forever. Right? He is ever present with us. And sometimes it feels like he's not. Right? Sometimes things don't go right. Sometimes he feels distant. Sometimes we don't understand what's going on because we are those weak, frail, mortal beings and don't understand everything that the sovereign God is doing. However, what David's reflecting on is that we know with full confidence 
that God's present with us. He does care. And we know even more fully because of what Jesus did for us. That at the very least, if we don't understand anything that's going on around us, that Jesus is present with us and that in death I will be raised with him to life forever. And just that fact alone, his presence with us in death is, is enough. Right? So we have this um, supreme God who now is also He's great just in his own existence, but he's also great because of how he engages with humanity. So we're going to pause again and look at what is my experience with God then, right? So we talked about how I'm viewing God, but now it's an opportunity to express what have I been experiencing in my relationship with him? Maybe it's really good and I want to express to God that things seem to be going great. Maybe things seem pretty distant and I need to express to God like, hey, where are you? Right? Or maybe I'm hurt by God, or maybe I am not feeling great about certain things, and I need to be honest with God about where I'm at. So this next portion, writing our psalm, I think it's going to be up there. Good. In light of what you expressed about the greatness of God, what has your experience been with him? Consider what you've experienced in your relationship with him recently and express to him what your experience has been. So we've got this big view of God, right? And now we're expressing to him, you know, this is what my experience has been with you, 
greatly, God. And that's kind of what David has been doing. He's in awe at the fact that God would engage with him and be present with him through all the difficult things that David went through. We, we know a little bit about his life. Um, God was present with him through difficulty, right? So David moves on, though, and talks about humanity now in light of what God has done for humanity. Here's how he views humanity. And he says this, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. He's talking about humans. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. So David recognizes that even though humanity is frail, mortal, weak, right, all of us, um, God has granted that we get to be like him. Right? He says that we're made a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. And, and there's this weird debate about that phrase, heavenly beings. Some people say that he's, that the word there means angels, so we're a little lower than the angels in some order. Other translators will, will say, he, no, the, the word there is actually the word for God, so we're a little lower than, than God. Whatever it is between that debate, it's clear that David has the fact that humans are made in the image of God in mind. He is recounting and poetically expressing what we see in Genesis chapter 1, where God creates people in his image. So in Genesis 1, God, from the dust, makes man and women, men and women, and he says, he charges them to have dominion over the world, to cultivate life, right? So he puts them in a garden to kind of cultivate fruits and vegetables and things to eat, and then he tells them to love each other well and to spread throughout the world and spread the dominion of the God image bearer, the image of God bearers throughout the world, right? so that the whole world is being governed by little versions of God that is humanity. Humans are charged with the care of God's creation, and God gives them ability to do that. Right? So little lowly humanities, humanity is given this glorious honor to be like God and, to, and, and given a task to actually do that. Right? And yet we fail to do that all the time. We sin. God's original intention is for us to love well, love God and love others, to engage well with people, to bring out the best in the people around me. And yet I, in my sin, decide that I want to be the center of, of my world. And I don't want to, I want to tear people down. And instead of cultivating life, maybe I cultivate death and I make other people small around me so that I'm built up, right? Or whatever it is, we don't bear the image well. Jesus bears the image perfectly, and we can do that in him. But just because we fail, because David isn't talking about sin here, he's not talking about humanity and their sin, he's talking people bear the image of God. So even when we fail, it doesn't mean that we no longer bear this image. We still have this ability. Every moment we can be intentional to try to engage with God's original intention for humanity where we lift people up and cultivate life and the people around me. So when I recognize this God, and how, how does that relate back for David to the creative God? He's this vast God who really loves and cares and is sacrificial for his creation. So we, as images of him, should be loving people who care and sacrifice for the things around us. 
right? So as we're meditating on that, we're going to move into our last period of meditation. That's what we want to consider. In light of God's greatness, whatever I wrote down in the beginning of that psalm, and in light of what my experience is like with God, how do I engage now with my surroundings as an image bearer of the God of the universe who cares humbly about people? So here's the last prompt for us in light of this image of God understanding Meditate on the fact that you were made in God's image. In what way can you be intentional to create life in the circumstances or the people around you? Express to God your thoughts on how being made in his image empowers you. So we're wrapping up, um, and we, we see David um, end the psalm in the same way he starts it. And actually, yeah, if the band, band can come back up as we're wrapping up. Um, he ends the psalm in the way that he starts it, and he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Right? So David starts off with this huge view of who God is, and then he understands that magnificent, glorious God who created all things actually cares about his creation and empowers them to be little versions of himself to spread his goodness in his kingdom. And what we did is we engaged with that today. 
right? So we considered, what is my relationship like with God? How do I view God? How has he been engaging with me? And how do I now engage in my surroundings? And, and we took some time to express back to him, right? Where that's going. We had to reflect. So this is my, encourage, my final encouragement. Maybe psalm writing isn't your thing. But I think what David does, we see 150 psalms in the book of Psalms. And there's very likely thousands of more that David wrote or other authors wrote. And, and that point kind of helps us see that expressing to God and meditating on where am I at in my relationship with God is an important thing. So my aim is that you enjoyed the time, that you experienced joy or whatever it is in your relationship with God, that you get to meditate on where he's at with you personally. He is, a per- he is the sovereign creator, but he's intimate and personal. Um, so I hope you're able to enjoy that with him. I'm going to pray and move forward. Father, thank you for this time that we were able to um, simply pause and meditate on the manner in which you the mighty God of the universe, engage with us um, as sinful, broken people. We are grateful that you give us freedom to talk to you openly and to confide in you, and we're grateful that you're present with us and that you allow us the great privilege of bearing your image and loving one another. We ask that you would be glorified as we worship you now um, as we continue on in our service. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.